welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast. I'm Jeff Young. And I'm Jenny Abamu. Okay, Jeff, tell me, what are we talking about today? This week, we're talking about college teaching and whether it's changing or it's kind of the same stuffy lecture that kind of people think of when they think of college teaching. Well, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with lectures. I, I, I like listening to people talk. <laughs> That's my job. Yeah, well, I mean, I talked with Lauren Herkus, and she is interested in whether when presented with evidence that other teaching techniques might be better than a lecture, say, whether professors are having that, whether they're open to change or whether they are more basically prone to do what they, that was done to them that, that, that they had when they went through school. Okay, well, I hope that she's found some interesting, unique teaching things. Let's, let's hear it. I'm talking today with Lauren Herkus an anthropologist and a research faculty at Carnegie Mellon University who's been exploring the culture of teaching at colleges and what makes professors try new teaching practices or, in some cases, resist them. Thanks for talking to us today. My pleasure. So in your research, it seems like you've discovered a kind of interesting paradox. Uh, professors, you know, at research universities like yours, they, of course, value the scientific method and doing rigorous research, and yet these same professors it seems like often say they're skeptical of rigorous research about teaching. That's right. Um, that might be, yeah. So what's, what do you think is going on there? Well, I think that uh, folks who value rigorous scientific research at the university level have often been steeped in it within a specific disciplinary context. And many of them are quick to avow their, their expertise or lack thereof, you know, in other arenas that aren't their specialty, they, they tend to try not to step on other people's toes. When it comes to teaching, teaching is a practice that many of them have cultivated over years of experience that is separate from their their research or their identity as a researcher. So they don't feel the same, they don't feel as comfortable even reading the research about it? Oh, many do. There, there are many, there are many professors I've spoken to who are fascinated by research on learning science, educational technology, approaches to teaching and learning. Uh, many who are deeply steeped in it, and there are many who are not. I think it really depends on the faculty. I think, though, that there's a distinction between researchers in learning science and educational technology, and folks who are researchers in, say, physics or biology or engineering who are also teachers, they teach at the university level, and they may or may not read about research on teaching. Yeah, I guess one of the things that really fascinated me is, you know, bringing this kind of anthropological approach, right? Because I think there's this truism that sometimes gets said about, oh, professors at research universities don't, they only care about research, not about teaching. But that doesn't sound like what you found when you just ask people kind of how they think about their job as a professor. That's right. I found that Every single professor who I spoke to really valued teaching. Every single one. They they had lots of different reasons for it, lots of different ways that they came to their their lives as professors and their, their role as instructors at universities. But to all of them, teaching was central to their avocation, their identity, you know, what they the ways that they think about themselves. And again, this means different things to different people, but teaching was important to everyone. And so it's not a lack of, of caring about it that, that might make someone skeptical. And yet you did find, it sounds like a lot of people ended up teaching the way that they had been taught or the way that they felt good as a student in classes they had had. That's right. People, people sometimes ignore the research precisely because they care about teaching. Different faculty 
arrive at the point where they're teaching college students from wildly different experiences of their own. You know, some have wanted since they were small children to be professors at a university, and some fell into it later in a career. Some have clear ideas about what it means to teach and to teach well that they've held on to for days or weeks, and some for many years. And for faculty who think that, um, that research is a good way to learn how to teach, they will devour the literature on learning sciences. They'll reach out to experts across a number of di disciplines and within their own discipline to try and learn what the, the best way to teach is. For faculty who believe that, that teaching is an art, that it's just something that you develop with experience and time that you, you can't learn from a book, you need to learn by doing or, or learn from your students. No amount of exposure to learning science research is going to uh, disrupt their sense that this is something they they learn by doing or that they, they need to follow their gut on. Can you just take a minute to talk about kind of what your method was at, at kind of exploring this topic, like how you set up your, your work here? Absolutely. For the most part, we used an ethnographic approach, and that meant sitting in on lots of meetings and lots of phone calls, having <laughs> conversations with lots of people. I followed four specific projects over the course of a year. And each of these projects was an effort to either develop or to improve or to scale the use of some kind of um, educational technology, some kind of tool. So I guess I'm curious because you know, in you note in your study that higher education is at a big kind of moment of change these days. And, and um, I guess I'm wondering how you and that there might be needs for some changes in, in teaching perhaps or teaching approaches or, or research that shows that there are different ways to do it, more experiential maybe. And I guess, how do you feel, how optimistic are you that that dealing with this culture that you saw, um, that that kind of change is, is, is possible or coming or, or is it, um, you know, are, are you, or, or is there something to, to, some reason for concern that that's uh, there's a lot of barriers to it. Oh, that's a hard question. Um, I do think that we're at a moment where we're seeing a, a great deal of change. Um, but different institutions are changing in different ways because they have different goals. I think the the kinds of change that make sense for different institutions really depends on where they'd like to go, what role they'd like to play. In the future. Mm. And. So I think that there are different strategies that are appropriate for different institutions. You know, one thing that I encountered that I think is very important and very compelling, the fact that um, what it means to teach well, what does it mean to do a good job teaching? This is something that you might expect there to be some agreement on, but there's not. Different professors have different ideas about what it means to teach well. The, the review and promotion process is uh, characterized by some metrics that are supposed to evaluate teaching effectiveness or teaching excellence, but those also vary from, from one unit to another. The institution uh, may say in its mission statement or in other you know, kind of high-level visioning <laughs> that good teaching is valued, but what that means, operationally speaking, how do you identify good teaching when that means different things to different people within the same institution? Mm -hmm. Your ability to shoot for the same target and to try and reach the same goal 
is is impeded, right? And at different institutions, what it means to teach well or what it means to um, to achieve your your teaching objectives as an institution, as a department, or as an individual, different institutions define those things differently. And so the kinds of transformation or the, the kinds of barriers that we could anticipate in those different contexts are going to depend on what you mean when you say we're going to do some excellent teaching. Hmm. Um, it's so funny because it is one of those things where I feel like people in their mind, probably everyone may have an idea of what makes a good teacher, but that's exactly what's uh, being explored with some of this research and, <laughs> and, and that, that may show, you know, that there, there's a range of it. Yeah, there are, we found that there are faculty who think that the, the goal, their job as, a, as an instructor is really to, to build a relationship with a student in which they recognize expertise in their dis- disciplines and are afforded the space to do their own exploration so that they themselves can do the hard work of learning. And there are other faculty who are very focused on, well, in order to learn this content well, well, you need this piece first. And then you can't learn this other concept until you've really mastered this first concept. And once you've mastered those concepts, then there are these kinds of exercises that, that can help you learn. And so my job as a faculty member is to put the right pieces of content or the right challenges in front of students in the right order, which is, you know, the the heavy lifting is someone else's burden, is the, is the professor's burden in that model. And then there are faculty who firmly believe that no one learns without struggling with their own lack of mastery before reaching a point where they can achieve achieve things, that they can master skills that they hadn't mastered before. And so those faculty really strongly believe that their job, like that the most important part of the teaching practice is going to be to demonstrate to students that they don't know the answer, that they can't do the thing, and then help them help them find a way to learn how or to understand. And these, these different ways of approaching teaching really affect um, how faculty approach the classroom how they prioritize different aspects of teaching and learning. And if you if you write a policy or um, create some procedures by which all faculty need to um, approach their teaching in the same way, there are going to be some faculty for whom it's a perfect fit, but there are going to be others who feel like they're doing students a disservice because they're not doing that relationship building or they're not finding the right challenges or they're not able to present that really vital piece of information first. I guess the the big question I have when I research when I like kind of cover this area, especially with people or get excited about reforming teaching using technology or not, is I mean how much how much does teaching need to change at college? Like, is there a problem of of kind of consistent quality or or attention being given to teaching that that really is that needs to be addressed, or is it or is it or, or maybe not, and that there's more of a communication issue about what's being done and, you know, explaining what's being done. Well, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I think that, uh, I think that <laughs> I'm going to be an anthropologist here and say that there are some people who are very happy with the state of higher education, and there are some people who are very unhappy with the state of higher education. And in both of those categories, you'll find people who have wildly different reasons for feeling the way they feel. Hmm. So... Yeah, I think it. I think it's. I think it's great for some folks and terrible for other folks. It, it depends on depends on what you're trying to achieve. 
Do you have any advice on someone that sort of wants to change someone's mind to either adopt or consider more of this evidence-based research if they hadn't been? Um, is there some way that might change change a mindset if, if, if a professor is in one of those that you mentioned? Sure. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, people people can always change uh, their perspective. If you're trying to communicate the value of a, of a technology or an approach or even of learning science or, you know, education research as a, as a field, you have to start with the person you're speaking to. So they may come to that conversation with a sense of, well, you know, I know that people get PhDs in education, people get PhDs in curriculum design, and I, I've never even taken a class where we've talked about curriculum design. I would like to know what they know. And then there are people who will say, I've been teaching since I was a graduate student. My students are very happy with the teaching. I feel pretty good about my teaching. I understand that you have a PhD in curriculum design, but I don't really need that. And you need to approach those two different faculty members differently. Understanding that there are some people who are interested in hearing about evidence-based practices and just pointing them towards the resources um, is great. Understanding that there are some people who will say, well, that's good for other people, but not for me. Or, you know, I, I believe that these pieces of information are these resources, but these other things, yeah, they just don't resonate for me. There's some value to talking through it, you know, talking about what it actually means, that, that research, and how it may or may not apply to really digging into, well, why don't they think it applies to them? And what is their, what is the perspective or what is the belief that, that um, leaves them feeling skeptical about this. If you start with that, really trying to understand where they're coming from, then there's a much better chance of getting to common ground. Hmm. What about your own teaching? I'm curious, have you, are you someone that try, you know, tries different techniques that are based on research? Yeah, absolutely. I love trying new things in my teaching. Um, I do. The Trying to <laughs> research-based teaching or teaching effectively by the book is is challenging for so many different ways. For a couple of years, I was the coordinator of a of a um, graduate student teaching initiative, and one of the things, one of the the parts of that uh, that job was I taught a a class for doctoral candidates on university hmm. teaching. So these are graduate students who are planning on getting PhDs. and virtually all of them were hoping for for careers in academia. And so they planned, to teach college students eventually, if they weren't already. Gotcha. And so the class was a seminar about university teaching. It was really interesting. It was really fun. But the hardest thing was that I would spend, you know, the time of the class meeting talking about or working with students about these principles of effective teaching and having to demonstrate those principles in action while I was doing it. I remember very clearly teaching a class where we were talking about effectively leading class discussions and you know thinking about good questions to ask and making sure that the students um, participated in, in constructive ways and that you stay on task and all the things that are challenging about about leading a, a good class discussion. And I was I was tired and I was feeling under the weather and I had a cold and I was just I was really struggling that day personally. And I remember asking a question and I can't remember what the question was, but it was a terrible question. It was something like, are there any questions? <laughs> and, uh, and thinking to myself, as I said it, 
well, I'm asking this question, and I just told them not to ask questions like this, but right now it's all I got. <laughs> that's, what I just, yeah. that's what I got. And, you know, there is so much literature, and there are so many right ways, and there are so many recommendations that incorporating all of them into your practice at the same time is literally impossible. Many of them are contradictory. You have to choose a suite that you're adhering to because you can't do the others if you're doing these. And trying to embody best practices while teaching is really complex. It's a skill set that you develop. You develop with time and instruction and you can master, but you can, you're always going to have to continue to perfect it. And so I think that, um, I think that, yeah, you can absolutely teach in evidence-based ways, but remembering that professors are human <laughs> and that even when they know all of the quote-unquote right ways, or even when they've selected an approach that is um, appropriate and effective and um, is and works really well for them and is you know, good for the students, even when they're doing all of the things that they can, there are still lots of ways to do it right. And there are lots of reasons why it can go south or it can not be as good as you would hope. Mm -hmm. it's, it's important. Oh, this is so interesting. And yeah, the, the, um, it is interesting sometimes where it feels like some of the people that might be leading a program in um, or, or at the administration level may not be in the classroom themselves at that moment. So it's tricky to, um, to, to kind of get all those pieces together. Um, I also, I'm curious, you know, did you find in interviewing professors and doing the ethnographic work that professors were worried about um, maybe teaching reform efforts that they might hear about it um, or, because they might be concerned about it, trying to replace their job, so to speak, or change teaching and put them out of the classroom in the long run? The short answer is that, no, I didn't encounter anyone who were afraid that they would lose their job um, to these kinds of uh, innovative teaching right. tools or practices. Um, I, did, I did interview a couple of faculty who joked around about how, well, you know, if if this thing was so effective, I probably wouldn't be teaching it because it would already be, have replaced me <laughs> as a way of kind of hmm. um, suggesting that the technology, while good for many things, is different. It's qualitatively different than having a professor teach a class in that way or in a different way, traditional way, I suppose. And so, no, I didn't find anyone concerned about that. And, and in fact, the people who I interviewed who were developing or designing these kinds of educational technologies almost universally described them as important complements to um, the personal touch or to traditional modes or to extant resources and, and not as a replacement for those. So what are your next steps? Are you um, continuing this research at all or, or what, what is, what are you doing next with this um um, mode of study? You know, I'm a, I'm a staunch advocate for paying close attention to the implementation of educational technologies. Once you have a, a tool or a practice that, you know, there's literature about it, it's effective, it's great, it, improve, it improves uh, student learning or it cuts on, down on professors' time investment, you know, what do you do in order to make sure that it's used effectively? Uh, when one person has used something in the classroom and it's worked really well, 
and they recommend it to a colleague or a colleague tries to do the same thing, it doesn't always go the same mm -hmm. way. So how can we make sure that effective tools and practices can be as painlessly as possible adopted um, into new contexts or scaled in their adoption? And that presents a whole slew of challenges because each each professor, each classroom, or each group of students, each institution has some differences. How do you identify the important differences? How do you know if this is also a good context? And then if you're planning on using that technology in the new context, how can you support it? So there's a, there's a methodological approach to identifying the important contextual factors and trying to increase fidelity of implementation for interventions of, all, of various kinds, including educational interventions and technologies that, um, that with a couple of colleagues I'm exploring through a few different projects. How can we identify the really important contextual factors to support the implementation of specific evidence-based tools and strategies in, in new contexts by new faculty at new institutions? Well, this has been really interesting, and it feels like in all of this, you're looking at the you know the kind of broader cultural context, not just the yeah, not just some sort of like tool you can plug in and the complexity of teaching. So, um, I really appreciate you sharing your research and and for talking with us today. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.